1: Good afternoon, or good morning. Sorry, it's very presumptuous of me to think you're listening in the afternoon just because it's afternoon now. Um, I am hiding in my bedroom. It's Sunday afternoon. We're about to eat a big roast dinner. I'm lying here with Ray, um, who's staying impressively quiet. Uh, we're about to have roast pork today. And I have been wearing a Christmas hat most of today because we've just finished decorating the tree. And actually, it did actually really work. I wasn't feeling Christmassy at all, uh, sort of this time yesterday. But now that there's tinsel and baubles and all that sort of stuff everywhere, my brain has gone, well, ho, 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 hold on. It's flipping Christmas. Um, And if you're into that kind of thing, we're going to do a kitchen disco on the 18th of December at half past six. So please, please do give me any Christmas song suggestions. There's loads of songs out there. There's a couple I'm like, mm, definitely want to do that. But actually, I'm open to anything. Because um, it's sort of the same thing that happened when we did the Halloween one. I suddenly had like a complete brain freeze of trying to remember anything other than about three songs. Uh, anyway, this week's guest is Sally Hughes. <coughs> oh, bless you, Ray. <laughs> uh, this week's guest is Sally Hughes, uh, beauty writer, editor, author... Um, but actually this particular conversation really, really resonated with me. Sally spoke with such, um, intelligence and sensitivity about what it's like to be on the other side of divorce and raising kids, uh, in amongst an extended family. Her boys are now, I think she said they're 12 and 14. She might well correct me at the beginning of our chat, um... And they have been raised, she said, by her and her husband, Dan, but also by her uh, ex-partner, who is their dad, and his new partner too. So that's very familiar to my story, really. I've always felt like I have four parents because my mum and dad split up when I was four. So I know how that goes, but it sounds like they've done a really good job and she's really smitten with her teenage sons. That really, really comes across that she's raising two lovely boys that she's very proud of. So... That gives us all hope, doesn't it, when we're in the midst of raising small people. Um, what else did I want to say to you? Oh yeah, so Sally and I, uh, we haven't met many times, but a couple of times, but when she came to talk to me, we immediately started talking about the judgments that people make on parents who have children of all one gender. Obviously, as the mother of five sons, that is a topic very close to my heart. So the conversation we had kind of start jumped sort of straight into that. So apologies if it's a bit more of a kind of to 60 than my usual style, but we just got started, and then I thought, hey, I better be recording this. Anyway, I will see you on the other side, and thanks for very much for giving me your ears once more. And, uh, yeah, lovely to see you. You know what time it is. It's cup of tea. There's always a cup of tea time, even if it's just before my roast dinner. In fact, I probably have one alongside me. And if I haven't told you before, it's white and two. Oh, no, white and one sugar. Oh, my goodness. I used to be white and two. I've grown out of it, I promise. I promise. Okie dokie, I almost have one and a half. But it's still, yeah, white with some sugar. Thanks very much. Hot and sweet. See you on the other side. I think um, the comments about the boy-girl thing is really strange. And... I feel like the thing that always used to make me quite sensitive to it as, as a mother of sons, with this sort of inferred thing that I haven't
0: experienced all aspects of motherhood because I haven't had a girl. Oh, yes, because it assumes that your five boys are all exactly the same. Exactly. That if you have boys, they're one thing, yeah. and if you have girls, they're another thing. But yeah. that's so absurd, because my kids are obviously completely different people, and I have more in common with one of my brothers than he has with one of my other brothers. Do you know You know, We're yeah. just kind of... People and we have some things in common, some things not.
1: Uh, well, the thing is, when people have comments to say about their expectations of your children, it always says more about them than you and anyway. their parenting, I think. Yeah, exactly. Because then I'd say, well, if I was, ex- let's say I wanted a girl, I'd then have an expectation of what that meant and yes, who absolutely. she already is. Absolutely. Ditto, if I say I want a boy, I've got an expectation of who he is. And I don't actually have that. I've never had that with any of the babies. Me they come neither. along and I meet them when they happen to be a baby and then they let me know what they need from me. There's that
0: thing that people do a lot where they kind of put a personality on an unborn child where they go, oh, you can tell she's going to be such a diva. She's always kicking. It's like, no, don't do that. I know. Because she might be a really kind of nerdy, bookish, quiet child or she might be kind of strident and opinionated but kind. And, you know, all of these things we impose on something that doesn't really exist other than... As a part of your body. I know,
1: but I do wonder as well. Sorry, we sort of jumped straight into a chat, but I just, I do find this kind of thing fascinating because I think that the more, this is my own theory, but I don't know. So the more we've got better at discussing what gender means to, for adults, and the more we're trying to socially accept the spectrum of gender, the more binary I think it's got in what we impose on children. So the whole, like, boys play with blue things, girls play with pink things. You know, girls get, you get uh, horses, girls, and you get cats. Boys, yeah. you've got
0: dogs and dinosaurs, yeah. hope yeah. you're okay with that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's sort of very split. You'll know from having boys that people um, assume that they're really boisterous and mad and yeah. crazy. And so they say, oh, I bet it's a handful round your house, as though a girl will be really meek and quiet and mm. docile, and the boys will just be hell raisers.
1: It's true, but then every once in a while when the kids are all kicking off, and I'm like this is what people think I go home to. <laughs> can you this please this stop it, it? five, four, Stop it. it. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, it's, it's, I can see as well, it's quite a nice feeling now, but um, when I tell people, if I say, oh, I've got five kids, and they kind of give me, like, oh, like, they have to, like, yeah. reassess. But then when I say it's five boys, I, I often get this, like, moment where they kind of have to reassess me, like, oh, I didn't realise you're the mother of five sons. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now
0: I'm trying to figure that out as yeah. well. <laughs> I quite like that. Like you're some mafia mama. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of cool though i'd go with that i think that's quite funny well i quite like that
1: and it's quite funny as well having all these the moment small small children who one day will all be taller than me yeah, that's quite a course. funny idea yeah. and
0: you're quite tall but they will be
1: <laughs> <laughs> i sort of practice with a little one holding him above me like oh, <laughs> can i go out my uh, my
0: eldest son is taller than me <laughs> oh so how old is he how old is so he he's 15 to? 15 okay and um arthur is 13
1: so you've got Marvin, who's 15, and Arthur's 13. Yeah. So you've got two teenagers. You made yeah. it through to that bit. Yeah, it's the best bit. <laughs> yeah, I actually really love having a teenager. I hang out with Sunny a lot, and we have a very balanced, calm relationship, actually. Yeah. So do we, it's nice. In fact, from my birthday this year, he gave me a card that said, um, lots of love from your counsellor, because I think he feels that's basically what I do. I kind of come in and I just like offload everything that's been annoying me, bothering me. It's lovely when they get to that, then,
0: <laughs> and you can have proper conversations.
1: Definitely. And so we are talking today, just fresh off your radio show going out last night. Oh, yeah. All about trolling mm-hmm. and dragging sites, which I found Absolutely fascinating. And there were so many parts of it that really made me think. I think the two things that really stuck out for me, one was when um, a lady who'd been really badly trolled, she'd had her father die, and so her and her sister had set about raising a lot of of money and had all this horrible stuff online. She said something like,
0: you expect... It wasn't your run-of-the-mill trolling, as if... She said... um, her, as you rightly say, her father had died. They were raising money. She'd had an utterly hideous time where people were accusing her of buying into a conspiracy of coronavirus, that coronavirus didn't exist and how she had killed her father to be part of this conspiracy. And as she was explaining it to me, as you say, she said, well, it started off just, you know, you kind of bog standard trolling, yeah. as though a certain degree of trolling would be expected when your father just dies of coronavirus. Yeah, or even if, to anyone who's in, and who all puts themselves into like a... Yeah. Pl- Public platform, yeah, and she's just a normal girl. She's a trainee solicitor in Wigan, and uh the only reason she was put in the public eye is she was trying to raise money for a charity. Yeah,
1: that's horrific. so that really struck struck me because I thought, actually, I think it, I think people do anticipate that some of this nastiness is going to come your way no matter who you are, or what it is you're doing, and actually, that's fundamentally wrong. And the second thing was when you were saying about the the thing that's really terrifying is because of the anonymity, you get this fear because you don't know who it is or where it's coming from and the fact that it can change the way you shape your life and how vulnerable you feel, even when you're someone that's supported and loved and has a solid home life, solid family. And you said even for you, you found that it mm. was affecting... Your behaviour, and I think you went on a work trip and took mm-hmm. your husband when you wouldn't normally. Mm-hmm. And
0: I had to go to Paris to write something, um, an English thing for a company over there, and um, it had been booked for ages. I was committed to it, I had to go, but this had all just happened about a year ago. And um, the night before, I was just sitting in bed going, I can't do it, I can't go, I can't go. And so my husband said, What about if I come? And so I was on the Eurostar website really late the night before I spent such a huge amount of money on a ticket because it was last minute. But I just literally couldn't get on the train without him. I was so scared. I think anybody who knows me knows that that is so off brand for me. I'm, Mm. I'm a bold person. You know, I don't I don't I'm not a fearful person by nature. I'm generally an optimistic type. And um, that was really uncharted territory for me. And things like, you know, during COVID when we're wearing face masks, I was talking to my husband the other day and I was saying that actually I have been more relaxed in public since COVID um, than I was in the year before it because... People can't see my face. And prior to that, I just kept thinking people were watching me, um, that people were going to stop me. And in fact, they did. Uh, Several people stopped me. Nice people, kind people stopped me in the aftermath of the the trolling incident. Say how sorry they were, and they were really sympathetic. But of course, you think, well, if they recognise me, and they're saying, sorry, who, who, who else is seeing me, and what are they saying? And so actually having a face mask has made me relax a lot more than I had.
1: Yeah, I actually think I can totally see that I found when um when my stepdad died a couple of months ago, being able to go out and about with a mask I found really helpful because yeah. it meant that I
0: felt like I just could keep myself a bit tidied away, actually. I know exactly what you mean. It's a sort of it's a privacy, isn't it? that yeah. you're afforded. Um anyway, there might as well be one positive to this whole multiple situation. <laughs> That's kind of the only one I can think of, but um, it has definitely um just that aspect of it has allowed me to feel a bit more guarded, a bit more private, yeah. um, a bit less exposed.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we are allowed to look at what the positive aspects are about how the world, world has changed without ever making the assumption that that means you actually wish it all just happened anyway.
0: Yeah, like, yeah, of it's not yeah, of course. Of course, you do anything to take it away. down pandemics, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, down with this sort of thing, yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, no, there is the, there are very, very few redeeming features, but um, th- that's one aspect that... At that particular time in my life, I have come to realise I needed to just be a bit hidden away. Mm. And how
1: how aware are your boys of what had been going on? And
0: well, they're they're teenagers, Mm -hmm. so they're totally aware. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, they're totally aware for
0: them. Yeah, uh, and hard for me as well because it's kind of shaming, isn't it? So my youngest son, uh, his school teacher approached me at a school event to say she'd read it all and how sorry she was, and I just wanted to die. I wanted the ground to swallow me up um and then my eldest son is 15 so of course all his friends have heard because that's how teenagers work they all talk to each other on snapchat and that's incredibly humiliating i mean they've been great obviously and their parents have been great but you just feel as though you're kind of walking through a market town with no clothes on basically
1: oh yeah i suppose um it's so important to get it out there, but it is a thing that, yeah, you have to say, this made me feel really vulnerable and really sad. But then it probably opens up the chat for so many people who've been affected in lots of ways by, by gossip and things that have been put online. And it's actually really important that people do stop and think before they put anything out there. I mean, I've, yeah. sometimes I'll even read, like, friends of mine put things, and
0: I just think, what if that gets back to them, you know? Like, it's quite... Yeah. You have to be so careful. Yeah, I am... Um, I mean, probably the same thing has happened to you. I, I've been asked many a time to go on a TV programme to kind of slag someone off, or, you know, slag someone off the telly, or, you know, oh, what does she look like? What's he doing? Whatever. And for years now, I just say no, because I think, well, how would I feel if somebody was talking about me like that, or one of my friends, or one of my kids? And so I just don't don't get involved in that stuff at all anymore.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe, I don't think your boys sound like they would ever have done anything like that anyway, but it probably makes them very switched on with that sort of very sensitive to that just generally and across their social group as well because kids can be pretty unkind sometimes at that especially at that age um just like in their social group so
0: yeah although I know what you're saying but the other thing that's been really interesting and life-affirming actually about the whole thing is that um so my house has always got teenagers in it so pre-covid it, you know there were just kids everywhere um eating too much food and leaving massive shoes in the hallway and all of that stuff. And um, I have never seen any behaviours that their parents couldn't be really proud of. Oh, that's lovely. And the behaviour I've seen from adults online is just unimaginable and inconceivable to the kids I know. You know, the kids I know are much nicer than the adults I've seen. Yeah, actually, that's true.
1: And I think that I feel like um, my eldest and your boy's generation is actually pretty... They've got quite a good moral compass about things. I agree. And I think we've put so much more emphasis now on kindness, uh, being tolerant, being open-minded, having difficult discussions, way, way more than I was when I was a teenager, Totally. Yeah. It's quite funny, actually, to think back about some of the stuff that was really taboo and things that were sort of happening in the shadows. And now I think they're much more given a centre stage, you know, mental health issues, how you feel about your figure, how you feel about your friendships, you know, starting relationships, all these things have just come
0: on so much more now still a long way to go but it's inspiring I think when you when you hear teenagers talk about some things I find it really inspiring I think well yeah I mean I hadn't thought of it like that or you seem really switched on and it's really nice to hear their views on things
1: yeah um so you were saying you're 1 of 5 but you're the only girl, and
0: so you've got four brothers. Yeah. So where are you in the lineup? So I'm the baby of batch 1. So batch 1 had three kids in it. So okay. uh, there were two boys then me for a long time and then there were two more boys.
1: So how old were um, you when the little ones were So
0: well? I think I was 10 or 11 when the next batch started. Okay. So when, so when the second youngest boy was born, I was about 10. So did you used to look after 11. the little ones a bit? Completely, completely. Because that's what happens. You'll know that's what happens when you're in a big family. You're just constantly like holding a baby or cooking something for somebody. Everybody just has to muck in because it's too big. Yes, definitely. It's that that is actually one thing you just give
1: yourself over to and go go and ask someone else. And it's actually really nice yeah. when someone else does sort of step in. I think actually sometimes as a mum, you first want to be sort of all things to all people, and one of the benefits of having a bigger family is you realise it's literally not possible so you do just kind of accept defeat with that it's
0: not possible and also I sort of think that um however many children you have your job as a parent is to keep your children alive first and foremost alive and safe but secondly it's to prepare them for adulthood and I always felt when I became an adult, I knew how to cook, I knew how to do laundry, I knew how to run a home. Basically, I knew how to be an adult. And I think if you don't let other kids take over a bit, or you don't delegate, I think you kind of deny them the development Mm. that they need to kind of look after themselves when they leave home.
1: Yeah, that is true. Especially as I can sort of see it on the horizon now with my eldest. And I think, okay, I've got my, my, my mum saying to me when I left home. I suddenly realised I didn't teach you how to make a white sauce, as if this was something like, I absolutely had to know how to do. I still don't really think I've ever used... She did quickly show me like my mid-twenties at some point, but it's never really come into my but cooking you know, repertoire. The
0: kind of embarrassment you would feel if your boys went into the outside world and couldn't cook a girl a dinner, yeah. you know, Put something on the table. I yeah. would find that mortifying.
1: Yeah, I want them to be able to cook, and I want them to be able to dance. That's like the two things I think. If Fair you enough. A, you know, a boy that can dance and cook—that's yeah, that's pretty good,
0: isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> well, and you know what it means: good dance, good everything else. In my <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah, it means, yeah, r- rhythm and having fun are very important factors. Yes,
0: exactly, <laughs> for adulthood, certainly. <laughs> and did you
1: always want to be a mum? Did you always envisage yourself as a
0: mum? No, I didn't. I didn't. I was thinking about this on the way here because I always think of you as a really kind of instinctively maternal person. This is the vibe you give off. And I, I, I didn't have that. I never, for a really, really, really long time, I didn't think I wanted children at all. Oh, wow. And then one day, I so wanted children... Um, partly because I'd met the father of my children, I really loved him and knew he would be a good dad, and I think that really influences things, of course. Um, Partly, I think your hormones do kick in quite often and say, it's time, go, go, go. And from the moment that happened, I just really, really, really wanted kids and got pregnant really quickly and... I was very fortunate in that way. I've never had any difficulty getting pregnant and had them quite quickly. I wanted a small gap between them as well because we were very much, as one of five, we were a gang. And me and my two older brothers were all close in age and we were a real gang. We were best friends. We were together all the time and I wanted that for my kids.
1: Oh, so, do you, so it sounds very, very planned and into a very sort of yeah. stable stable home life and is that something were you working alongside that at the time and did
0: you have any worries about how it would work out? So I would have done things so differently if I could go back so when I had quite a difficult relationship with my mother a very difficult relationship with my mother and what that does when you have children you have very clear ideas on how you're going to do things Um, and very often they're the polar opposite to what your mother did and so I, when I got pregnant with my eldest child, I said, right, I'm going to give up work and I'm going to be home all the time and I'm going to have the washable nappies and I'm going to puree the organic vegetables and mix was them with breast milk that and stuff. You, was this the opposite well, it was of just kind you- of chaotic and I had this very ordered idea that, that, that his childhood would be very ordered and structured and not chaotic and not kind of flying by the seat of your pants and it would be very affectionate and i just had all these rules for myself and one of them was giving up work which i did um and i went completely mad you know i had um i got postnatal depression partly because when my first baby was 11 weeks old i think my father died um and so i became a parent and lost a parent for the first time in the space of 3 months um and became really depressed um i also just I was lonely. I was quite young, not young by the rest of the country standards, but young for London media standards. I was 29, I think, and 29, 30. And um, I was really lonely. I stopped getting invited to things. I just kind of fell off the planet, I felt. And I remember I was at a wedding with my ex-husband, a friend of his from university, and I had my 12-week-old baby on my knee. And we were in this country hotel, and we were around this big round table of about 12 people. And there was a woman on the table, and she said... um, She turned to the man on her left and she said, so what do you do? All these strangers getting to know each other. She said, what do you do? And he said, you know, I'm an estate agent or something. And she said, what do you do? Somebody said, I sell insurance or whatever it was. And she went round the table and I had the baby on my knee and she skipped past me and went to the person to my left. She just jumped over me because I had a baby. And I remember just feeling so obviously furious, but so low about that. I just felt like I'd... Dropped off the side of the planet. I was really depressed. And I feel really sad about that actually when I look back because there are things that I should have done, i.e., give myself a break, um, that would have made me a lot happier. I was bereaved. I was lonely. I was depressed. And when I had my second child, just two and a half years later, I decided that I, I was working again by then. I decided that I would carry on working as much was comf- as was comfortable for me. Obviously, I'm very lucky I work from home and um, I decided I would carry on working as much as was comfortable and feasible and that I would just not really care about what kind of mother I looked to the outside world. And it was just bliss. I loved him so much. The moment he was put into my arms, I just adored him. He was so it was just fun having him and I didn't do any routine with him and he slept in my bed and he treated me like a drinks dispenser in the bed (laughs) like we didn't do any of the stuff you're supposed to do it was so freewheeling and I kept on working and it was just bliss and I experienced the thing that you're kind of meant to experience which was the joy and the euphoria obviously by then I was madly in love with my other son too but those first few months first time were incredibly difficult. I think I overcompensate for that a little bit with my eldest because I feel so bad that I was so sad. Um, We're really, really close, me and him.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I'm really um, impressed that you managed to sort of give yourself this complete different experience the second time around because that's not a very long gap of time. And, you know, if you're dealing with things like depression and grief and feeling really isolated, they don't necessarily you know, alleviate within two years. So you probably still had all those things in concurrent, but you also have found a way to sort of give yourself this other way to do it.
0: So what had happened was when my father died, um, I inherited a tiny amount of money and um, so I decided to take this money. I realised I was mad, and to take this money and spend literally all of it on therapy, which is what I did. Uh, so I went to therapy for uh, the next two years. And the last therapy session I had in London, or maybe the penultimate one I had, um, I had my second newborn with me, and she said, "You seem good." So oh, that was it. Yeah, that's actually, quite amazing. Yeah, it was really <laughs> lovely. I was sitting there feeding him, and at the end, she said, "I think you're good." Oh wow! Yeah.
1: That's really moving, and um, I mean, I always think of babies like a sort of uh, a happy thing that always brings happy stuff with it, and that's probably because, for me, I was on my own till I was eight after my parents separated, so this new baby, my brother, was like, oh, this is great, I'm not on my own, and I've got this little person I can dedicate my life to, but actually, there's a lot of times when a new baby is actually brings about lots of other emotions you've never had before, and yeah. even, yeah. you know, for me, I was... Um, in a new relationship with Richard, we were in love with each other, but I felt so isolated. Actually. Yes, it's really isolating. Yeah, and I, I really didn't know who I really was or how to continue the life I had before as this new mum. So I really relate to that woman part, skipping you over at the, at the the event, the wedding. Was that a wedding did you say? Yeah, yeah. Because you do just sort of feel like you're kind of you just exist as that that baby's mum you've ceased to exist because you had a baby it's so
0: weird and I thought you wait you wait till you have a baby you'll remember this I hope and think ah
1: well the thing is I think people don't really tell you about that and they sort of assume you're kind of probably all fine thank you very much if you're especially if you have a quite a traditional setup and you've got you know a roof over your head and a, a loving partner and they think well you're probably fine and I think sometimes you don't really Check in on people brilliantly when they've got a newborn because whoever has their first baby and thinks, "Yeah, I've got this," like I don't, I don't think I've really met that person. I mean, obviously, some of it comes a lot easier than other things, but I think I do remember feeling like I felt like the experience of new motherhood is what well, I felt kind of homogenised. Like if I went to a, a place where there was lots of other toddlers, I felt there was nothing to distinguish me as anything. Yeah, different. So was, I get that. I'm just that person's chaperone, and that's all yeah. I am. And you know. I'll, yeah that's your you know used little like snack bar wrapper All yep I'll put that in the bin and clear yeah. up here and look off your shoes there. I mean
0: you're a carer aren't yeah. you and you can see why so many carers feel so excluded from society. Yeah. Because just the act of caring for somebody means that you are just a background artist.
1: Yeah 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 and you know I think um, there's so much pressure on Mums, when you're pregnant, like like your plans, all these plans, I'm going to puree this and use proper nappies and I'm going to do all this stuff because you're ready to set it out in your head of this is the kind of mother I want to be. And then, you know, your baby comes along and maybe that's not
0: Yeah, and you you know, the thing, the penny really dropped for me when I realised that, you know... The, the best mother I could be was to be a happier mother mm. and that is the thing that has an impact not the organic vegetables and the breast milk blended together in an ice cube tray which is why when I had my second child having done all of that with my first child when I had my youngest son he would like pick up watsits from a pub floor and I'd be like oh okay like I just couldn't really <laughs> I didn't really have it in me to get worked up about it no. And that's what happens when you have your second. That's why second children are often the chilled ones, because you're chilled.
1: Yeah, and I think also, you know, you start to realise, hang on a minute, I can't walk into a, a crowded room and say, that one, that one, that one. those people, they're the ones that were breastfed so no, they were of one. of course not. And, uh, you know, it's like, of course not. it all kind of irons out. There's And, you know, just, what, as you say, whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you feel like you're kind of enjoying it and have got the, the balance of caring for your baby and giving yourself a little bit of... Yeah, and, You know, respite from it too. Yeah, It's really hard, though. I definitely don't feel like I figured that out with my first at all.
0: No, I know. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. I was really competent with my first. I was really competent. Everything was clean. Everything was done at the right time. Mm. And I was, I was on my game. But, of course, I wasn't on my game. I was deranged, you know. Whereas, second time, I just kind of let things fly and had a really lovely time. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
1: so, and I was, I was talking to a friend of mine recently, I said, oh, who, who would you like me to speak to when I'm doing my podcast? And she said, um, is there anyone that you can think of that maybe doesn't have a mother that's a role model to them? Because so many people, when they're talking about parenthood, they reference their own mother Interesting. being her. And I thought, actually, that's, that's actually a weird, like, there must be so many people who feel like that. And I sort of completely take it for granted that my mum is someone you've I've got a nice on. mum, but, haven't you? Yeah, but I, and also I lean on it really heavily. <laughs> you know, I, I uh, you know I, I sent her messages before you arrived. I phone her most days. Um, But not everybody's lucky enough to She's a very engaged
0: grandparent as well, isn't she? She's a very involved and engaged grandmother. She is, and in
1: quite a smart way, which I hope I can do if I become a grandma, where she's actually definitely got her own life. And she's been so clever because she never takes more than one of my kids at once.
0: Nice. That's probably nice for them, though, isn't it? Lovely
1: for them. They get this, you know, very sort of uh, premier grandma experience. And her and my eldest are very, very close. Nice. I'm glad he has that in his life because I think. Sometimes that grandparent role—it might be someone that could be, you know, one of your friends or someone, but another adult in their life that has this very non-judgmental exchange. Yes,
0: I think it's really lovely for kids to have um, a really close friend who's a different generation to them. I think it's yeah, really healthy, so healthy. So, in in your experience, did you have
1: do you have those people in your son's life? Did you have them from the get go? Were there people you yeah, so spoke to?
0: I'm um, I'm not at all religious. Um, and yet, I gave both of my children a full set of godparents because oh, yeah. I wanted I them. The I wanted them to have close friends from an older generation who were not their parents, who they could go to if they didn't want to speak to their parents. And so they have um, they have a full squad of godparents um, who are all different types of people and all people that I trust completely and so that was very important to me and also because of my relationship with my family and um, it was important to me that they had the support structure that they might not necessarily have from their um from my family basically and so I was very careful to kind of recruit them a squad mm. and um I'm I, I still really love the people I chose do they have like two godmothers two godfathers four each well sort of there's a two-man gay couple in there so the numbers are slightly skewed um yeah so there's there's two men in Australia who are um some of my oldest friends or one of them is one of my oldest friends and then um yeah they've both got some girls and
1: yeah no it's I think godparents is like a one of the hidden like brilliant things about bringing people that you feel like a family but making it official like part of your family yeah it's, like it's a lovely. really special thing and in fact even now sometimes i would be like oh that would be a really good godmother I think I should probably I've probably got to have another baby <laughs> so that I can make them a godmother <laughs> it matters but, though
0: doesn't it oh it's I love really it nice I love it too and um my kids uh, one of my kids godfather the one the one who lives in Australia with his husband he um he witnessed our wedding and so on. so we just involve him in everything because he's our family so this was you didn't get married not that long ago how long ago was no it? so I've been married twice yeah. um my existing permanent husband <laughs> so I don't know how to put it you don't want to say current because it implies no, that, that it's a kind a bit, of bit transient ephemeral thing yeah <laughs> um so my husband now um we've been married for three years uh together for much longer and then uh, my former husband we were married for 10 years together for 13.
1: Oh wow okay and so how long were you at a single mum in the middle. Um, about 18 months, so something like the that. So has been part of your son's lives for a long time. Yes, yes. Yeah. He's
0: known them since they were little, um, which is really, really lovely. And so my maths
1: is a bit... So how old were they then when they met him? I think they were something like seven and five
0: oh, yes. or something. Mm. So they were little. Mm. Um, and he's... Brilliant. He he's absolutely brilliant. It's been a learning experience for him for sure. Did he, he have kids no, in his life at all before that? No, he didn't have kids. And I said from the very beginning that I didn't want to have more kids. Um and so he just kind of had to catch up and get his head around it. I said from the very start that I didn't want more kids because I thought, well, you should have the opportunity to go and have kids if you need to have kids. And I just I didn't want to false advertise. So um but he said he said, okay. Um and he just fell in love with mine gradually over time in a really organic, unforced way that, um, that they made happen, that he and my kids made happen. And of course, I facilitated it as much as I could, but I mainly let them find their way with it. It's quite a difficult thing to do, I suppose, or it could be a difficult thing to do. Um, but I think he was extremely respectful of their boundaries when we first started seeing each other um he didn't sleep in my house for ages and ages so he would come to Brighton from London and stay in a hotel Mm. and then I would put the kids to bed and then I'd go and see him and we'd have dinner and whatever and um I just didn't want somebody in my house unless I was absolutely sure they were going to stick around I didn't want my kids to you know have a series of uncles that they met yeah um and he never, ever, ever pushed that. He completely, we were on the same page. He knew how important that was. I didn't have to convince him of that. And so it happened kind of slowly and it it, it unraveled in a, in a really nice way and they absolutely adore him and they also absolutely adore their father.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, and I think, I think actually that thing you said about letting them kind of find their place with it together and not kind of meddling too much... I think that's exactly the right thing to do and incredibly instinctive if you know that on both sides there's good people because then they will find their way to their relationship, which is what happened.
0: Yeah, and there was, there was respect there. You mm. know, he never, tried to, um, he never tried to take the place of their father. Yeah. And I think that's really important. He always really respected their relationship with their father and, and it, d- it deserved respect, you know. My kids have a dad. Mm. Um, and and gradually he became their other dad without ever stepping on the toes of of my ex. And similarly, my ex um, is getting married again, and she's lovely. His partner's lovely, and I think she's done the same thing. Really, everyone's fine.
1: No, that's well. I think that's really impressive. And uh, you know, hearing you talk about that really reminds me of how my relationship with my stepdad evolved. Well, when I was seven when I met him, and he. The big thing I always say if only my girlfriends are in a position where they might become a stepmother, I'm always like never, ever, ever slag off Oh my god, it's mother. the most important thing. <laughs> it will it's the most it important will, thing. Yeah, it will it will completely it, it, you know paralyze the relationship if you do that so just you have to however hard it may be
0: you have to kind of remain very impartial and respectful any any divorce involving kids is really difficult so even if you come from a place of mutual respect it, it's still horrible it's still one of the worst things you can go through and there were definitely difficult times and there were definitely um, times of conflict in times of of high emotion and stress on both sides however whatever else happened the one thing that neither of us ever 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 did was speak ill of the other mm, that's very impressive that's what your friends are for get your girlfriends around for a bottle of wine when the kids are out and then go to town if that's what <laughs> you need to do to mm. feel better but never ever ever speak badly of the other parent to the kids because you're slagging off them you're not, you're not criticizing your ex, you're criticizing 50% of their DNA, and it's horrible. I think it's abusive. And I have lots of grown up friends who were really traumatized by their mother or was slating their father or their father or was slating their mother. And I think it's a real act of cruelty, and I think you have to really, really make a concerted effort not to do it. I would never do it. Mm, I think that's such a perceptive comment, though, no, to say it's actually
1: you're not slagging off the other person, you're slagging off. You know, what are they
0: supposed to there. do with that? She hates half of me. She yeah. hates. The, she hates the person who made me. Yeah. Well, I, it's I, horrible.
1: I think as well. If you're a child of, especially if you witnessed conflict between your parents when yeah. they were breaking up, you do sometimes feel a bit like that means I am. I am the joined. You know, yeah, 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 and the reason
0: these people (gasps) have to know each other. Yeah,
1: and also I'm now a physical embodiment of two people who didn't get on. Which is quite weird. It's weird, weird, isn't it? Like, how am I supposed to live with myself if my parents couldn't, you know, couldn't make the marriage work? I mean, obviously that's really oversimplistic. When you're tiny, I think you sometimes do. Kind of think about things that way because you spend a lot of your time working out. You know, I get this from my mum I get that from my dad. I get this, yeah. Again. And it's quite hard to sometimes find the third thing, which is just the bit that's completely you. Um,
0: so yeah, I think your they, kids
1: will benefit massively from that. They approach. love
0: him. They love his partner. They love my husband. They love me. Everyone is cool. You know, it doesn't happen overnight, but um, but it did happen for us over a period of a few years, and um, you know, it's comfortable. And she also, she has a daughter, of her, she has a teenage daughter. They now have a baby together. And so everything's a bit elastic and messy mm. in a kind of nice way. And, uh, and everyone's happy and everyone gets on. So it's fine.
1: Yeah, that's, that's kind of what family can be. I mean, it's a bit like with the godparent thing too. But you can, you can make family really whatever works for you, I think. Yeah. It is an elastic term. I and mean, it's like, I say this as someone who's got tattooed, literally it says family on my arm. But I think you can kind of decide what family is to you.
0: Yeah, and also, I really, really wanted my kids to understand that a relationship that ends is not a failed relationship. It's not a failure. I don't regret marrying my ex-husband. I don't regret choosing him as the father of my children. I don't regret that we have these kids together. I don't regret any of it. Um, Just because our relationship wasn't meant to last forever does not make it a mistake or a failure. It just means it's a relationship that wasn't going to last forever. Mm. And I I don't want them to view um, the end of things as a disaster or a failure.
1: Mm. That's a really lovely philosophy as well, actually. I think um, that obviously shows that you and your ex sort of handled things in a way that still gives a lot of um, credence to the relationship you had, actually, rather than kind of going, well, that didn't work out, so the whole thing's rubbish, you know. They can actually still yeah. extract the benefits. No, we had the, a great time. Yeah. We really loved each other. It was like, Yeah, absolutely, I wouldn't have changed that. And do you have many memories of your bit as a single mum, then? Because that's actually, in in the sort of fullness of time, It's not a massive amount of time to be on your own. It's not years and years as a... But so, does it when you look back on it, does it feel like you can really remember? Yeah, it was just the three of you. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, I was on my own, I think it was probably about 18 months, maybe closer to two years. Um, no, I guess that is, yeah, it that's was, really I mean, it, it yeah, it, it was, it was hard. I felt guilty a lot. I felt, I mainly felt guilty about everything. I felt guilty that I was getting divorced. I felt guilty that, um, I had to go to work. I felt guilty if I had to stay overnight somewhere for work um yeah I sort of felt lonely and guilty but um I I also wanted my kids to know that um life goes on and um mum will always go to work and mum will always make things happen and mum will do what she needs to do to pay the bills and pay for all the stuff and um I I didn't want things to change too dramatically for them when something huge was already changing. And so I tried to carry on. Also, you know, I, I was luckier than most in that I had some childcare. Um, of course, I didn't have any relatives the way other people do, but, but I did definitely have a little bit of help. Um, and so we got through it. I said I would never, ever, ever marry again. Um, and I'm sort of amazed that I did. I was adamant <laughs> that I wouldn't. But, but then um, you also
1: thought you wouldn't be a mum. Well, exactly, well. <laughs>
0: exactly. And I am someone who kind of goes with the flow in life. I try not to plan too much. Um I have to plan my diary, but I don't like plan big events. I tend to d- just see how I feel about things and you know if it's right. And with the works is it is it you've been writing about beauty from from the start of No, no. So um so when I left school, which was really young, um I moved to London and I was an assistant makeup artist because that was the only job I could get where I could get paid um, on an invoice from a petty cash box on a video shoot or something because I was too young to have a job. So how old were you then, like 16 uh, So I was 14 when I moved 14? to London. 14? So you left yeah. school at 14? I did leave school at 14. So um, I think... Uh, so I moved to London just before my 15th birthday, so maybe like a month or something before my 15th birthday. Oh, did you feel young at the time or did you feel quite like, I, I'm just going to get on and do this? Um... I remember, in hindsight, I felt like I was totally on top of things and I couldn't wait to be an adult. I was one of those kids that couldn't wait to be an adult. Always wanted to work. Mm. Always wanted to have a job and earn money and and be free and independent. I always wanted that. I always wanted to leave where I grew up and move to London and all of that. But obviously, in hindsight, I now have a child the same age as I was and it gives me horrors. Like, horrors. I cannot believe that nobody came to get me. Yeah,
1: that's kind of crossed my mind too. It's you, mad, isn't it? Where mad, were you? you leaving, where did you move? Where did you have to come from? Where so, you, I uh, so I'm that. from
0: South Wales, and um, I moved to London and moved in with my then boyfriend, who was an adult. <laughs> the, all <laughs> roads, all roads lead really. back to a bad man, don't they? But um, so I moved in with my boyfriend, who's an adult, and um, I lived with him in a housing association flat in Paddington. And um, his female flatmate, who's actually one of my children's godparents. Ah, and, well, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and so I ended up finishing with him when I was uh, 16. And she turned to him and said, when are you moving out? Because by then we were so close. And he, he left and I stayed. So, yeah, now having a 15-year-old, I'm absolutely appalled. I'm so glad she was on the scene. She sounds like a good person. Yeah, she's properly good. Yeah. Um, and now yeah i look at my eldest and i'm like you need me so much and i must have really 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 needed people but then but then i did have a lot of support here i made lots of friends very quickly london was very different then to how it is now i think if you were creative and curious and and interested in people um and accepting of people you could kind of get involved in quite interesting things quite quickly Mm. um and I did I just sort of met I met lots of gay men and I met lots of drag queen gay (laughs) men and I met lots of record industry people and I had no interest in being in the record industry but they just happened to be the friends that I made and I uh, they did look after me you know yeah unbelievably they 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 did if you're the
1: one who's always the young one in the social group it's quite funny isn't it when you're not anymore because I was a bit like that when I was a teenager always going out and about yeah
0: and,
1: and then I remember when I suddenly was like oh I'm not like the, the, the young friend that they have there's other people coming in they're younger than me but yeah. for a long time I mean if
0: you were only like 14 15 when you start yeah. you're obviously like and they were and you all, met all our my friends Sally, she's only 16 or something all my mates were kind of like uh, late 20s early 30s maybe um and I was so 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 young, and we would go clubbing together and stuff. But you know, nothing. That, that you know, they were nice to me. It's not like the men tried to get off with me, or you know, I was I was really lucky. But mostly, I did hang around with gay men. I have to say so. Um, I I was nicely looked after by lots of gay men. Yeah. And girls. Yeah.
1: Well, they're kind of um, unchallenging for a teenage
0: girl. It's good. It's a
1: good choice, I think. Yeah. And. Um, I mean, so, I presume when you left, this was with your with your family. They weren't they were still in South Wales, and they mm-hmm. weren't weren't coming to London. And
0: Mm-mm.
1: so, w- when you did start, you know, th- you realize you were having, you know, decided wanted a baby. You know, just because I think there probably are people that feel they haven't got. Is it? Does it? Did that throw up a lot of things about your childhood and your relationship with your mum, or did you already know that those things were complicated, and that's why you'd left it behind so long before anyway?
0: Um it was definitely already complicated. We had very long periods of estrangement from the time I left home to the time she died uh, so we would have periods of two years here, five years there, three years there, and then the longest period was at the end, which was a thirteen year period where we didn't speak until I found out she was terminally ill, and then we got back in touch and so My whole life I knew it wasn't right and I knew that things were not normal and that that was not a relationship I wanted to have with my children. So that was very clear from the very beginning. I was adamant that my kids could rely on me. I was adamant that I would be there when they needed me. I was also very... um, I was obsessed with the idea that um, my kids should be able to tell me anything. That was the most important thing, that I wanted my kids to feel they could talk to me. And so whenever they talk to me about something I I try really hard not to not to judge what they're saying to me because I don't want to close down the next conversation they feel like having with me so I try to always listen and see it from their point of view because I don't think that kids especially teenagers ever think I'm not going to do that because my mum told me not to they're going to do what they're going to do so Mm. I want to be part of the conversation I want Mm. to be part of the interaction and so that stemmed from my own childhood where I just didn't feel that I had that. So that was that was really, really important to me. Um, and yeah, I just wanted them, I always wanted them to know that the bills would be paid, that um, they would never come home to find a utility cut off, that there would always be food in the fridge, um, that I would turn up to the stuff, I would go to all the stuff. And I'm really lucky, you know, my job means that although it's a crazy job with silly hours often and unpredictable hours, I can always do the thing. I can always go to the thing because I will just work until 2am so I can go to the concert earlier on in the day. Whereas lots of women don't have that privilege because they have a boss breathing down their necks. Um, And I haven't had that. I can always go to the swimming gala. I can always go to the Christmas concert, even if... I have to do something really crazy with my diary to make it happen I can always do it and that was really important to me
1: and has your job been flexible like that since you've had kids
0: yeah so um I I so my last staff job was at the face magazine um which closed in uh, 2004 and I had my first child in 2005 and I've been freelance that entire time so I feel I feel very lucky. You know, there are downsides to being freelance. You don't get sick pay. You don't get paid holidays. I always work on holidays, even though I say I'm not going to and all of that. But that degree of flexibility of saying I'm my boss, so I'm going to prioritise the things that I know are important, it's really invaluable. And why do you think it's, Beauty that has sort of resonated with you so much that became so so yes, yeah, so sorry, I went off on a tangent. So I moved to London, I became a makeup artist's assistant because that was the only thing that I really knew lots about that um I could do, not legally, but I could do by the seat of my pants. Um but I always wanted to be a journalist, so I did that for um a couple of years, then soon as I was old enough to get work experience as a journalist, that's what I did, became a journalist and I was um a features writer um and then a features editor um and then an editor and then when i had uh, children so i was features director at the face i had a child and then i went back to work freelance writing about all sorts of things ma- mainly cover interviews celebrity things and um columns and then a- as i got older um a thing happens when you're a female journalist if you hang around long enough and you've had enough of a life and you've got a good enough reputation you start being asked to write in the first person and I only ever now really write in the first person Mm. and then the beauty column it was really weird so um so I was a reader of the magazine and the current editor the then editor of Guardian Weekend had um employed a YouTuber um to do this column and I sort of feel a bit sorry for her actually because I don't think God, The Guardian or any broadsheets really took beauty seriously at all as a subject. And so they just kind of sent her a little bag of products and then she had to write one or two sentences on the products. And, you know, she wasn't a writer. It, it was just all a bit kind of half they by them and then they gave it to her. And um, I was reading it one day back in the early days of Twitter and um, as a beauty fan I was really cross about it and I said, this this beauty coverage is terrible or whatever. And then the editor saw it and she called me in and she said, oh, well, actually, uh, that YouTuber, uh, we really want video content. And she won't make it because she wants to make it for herself, for YouTube, which is completely fair enough. She wanted to own her own content. Mm-hmm. It was the early days. Um, and they said, um, she, she won't do videos. We really need somebody who's going to do videos, so we're replacing her. It's between um, a few journalists. Um, Can you go and write some sample columns? So I did. And then it was between me and another journalist who I latterly found out was writing a spoof beauty column. So they were they almost ran a spoof beauty column (laughs) instead of a proper one Um, and me. And it could have gone to her or to me, um, but it went to me. And so, yeah, that was like 11 years ago, something like that. Um, and I've been doing that ever since. And I had done some beauty for women's glossies before, but mainly not. Mainly my um, my writing was interviews and columns.
1: I think um, your work, like because you've set up the beauty banks, hmm. I think doing things like that really um, shows the proper value of how important it is to have time for yourself and to look after yourself and to feel good about yourself as part of your all-round mental health and self-esteem. I think you know it it kind of emphasizes how important it is and how a lot of people if they don't have access to to beauty products they can go back to feeling that completely invisible feeling just it's just about how you can another way you can nourish yourself really um so when did you set up the beauty banks
0: so we set it up just after i got married so i got married in october 2017 i think we set up beauty banks at the very beginning of 2018 um i had gone i was making um a film for the bbc about homelessness and um i went to a homeless shelter in cardiff where i was filming and there was like a couple of cardboard boxes under reception at the homeless shelter and it just had bits of toiletries in it you know like a tampon a sanitary towel a mini toothbrush or whatever you know the kind of things you get in a premiere in or whatever that you put into your suitcase bits like that And I spoke to the staff and they said that they just brought them in whenever they found some minis, they would just bring them in so that their clients could shave before a housing interview or their female clients uh, were taken care of when they had their period or, you know, there was a bit of lipstick in there for if someone had a meeting with social services about her kids or whatever it was. And Joe, my partner in Beauty Banks, and I had been talking for a couple of months before about what we could do about the fact there's so much waste in the beauty industry. There's so many products that go unused. And we'd been wondering what we could do. And I sent Joe a picture of this cardboard box. And she said, that's it. That's it. We can get all the beauty companies to give us loads of beauty products. And we'll distribute them to people who can't afford them, who really need them. Let's call it Beauty Banks. It was her idea to call it Beauty Banks. And um, I said, yeah, great. So we launched it like 48 hours later with a column and it just went nuts it went totally nuts
1: so what was it like when it started so where do you find
0: these products so you find them in homeless shelters so we so we get the products um from beauty companies and we um distribute them to uh food banks around the country homeless shelters addiction centers family centers schools now mental health trusts um You name it, wherever there are people who are experiencing poverty and are having to make horrible decisions like whether to eat or stay clean, Mm. uh, we then supply those charities with um, shower gel, deodorant, toothbrushes, toothpaste, shampoo, conditioner, all those sorts of things. Basically, people often ask me what they should donate. Just think about yourself every morning. Think about everything that you use when you're in the shower cleaning your teeth just think about all the products you use line them up that's what we need because everybody needs those things and they simply can't afford them
1: and so if you want to help and get involved where do you what would you so uh,
0: you can find us on our website if you just google Beauty Bank's website you'll come to the website or you can contact me on Twitter And um, there are lots of ways you can help you can set up a beauty bank in your shop or your office where people can drop in donations um, you can drop them in super drugs around the country that's brilliant um, it's really easy yeah yeah, it's really really easy there are loads and loads of ways you can help and it's it's sort of turned into quite a big charity we avoided registering as a charity for a really long time because both of us have about eight jobs and we were like oh we don't like want this huge <laughs> charity um so we really avoided registering officially we thought oh, we don't need money we can just distribute products but actually you do need money to distribute the products yeah. in the first place But well, we were so naive so eventually under us, we did register as a, as a proper charity and actually we're now you know a medium size charity people would probably say and it's been a huge success so we we donate to um around 180 charities around britain and then very many more schools and at the beginning of the pandemic to key workers as well and so you sometimes meet the people that are the People who benefit from so we don't deal with end users so much. We deal with charities. Charities, so yeah. we supply to registered charities. So if, for argument's sake, you are a youth homelessness charity in Cardiff, um, we deal with them and then they distribute to their clients. But we do, we do get really lovely letters that they have given that clients have given to the charities that are then passed on to us. Really like beautiful, touching letters. So we do still get to see the end of the line. We do still see the end of the process. Um, but yeah, we're not we're not at the coal face because we're dealing with really big bulk donations, yeah. and then we kind of they they trickle down.
1: No, but that's so impressive. That's brilliant. And actually, you're a perfect conduit for that because you've already got those contacts and know those people. And yeah, and you can sort of say, "Come on!" And you can also, if you wanted to, you could name and show them the brands that are rubbish at that, but also really celebrate the brands that
0: yeah. actually get really and most and people, people are good, and some uh, most people are good and. Some of the brands, I mean, we are talking about huge volumes if it's a global multinational, but sometimes a small independent brand who gives you 500 bars of soap, that means the same to them as 10,000 deodorants yeah. from a multinational does. And it really, it's really touching when people kind of really muck in. It's think, really lovely,
1: and and your boys? Do they ever have they ever like got, got involved with the
0: packaging? Yes, yeah, so both of their schools collect ah, for us. That's great. And um, my eldest son is on the charity committee at his school. Oh, that's um, so good. And they've definitely had buckets out. Uh, my friend Adam Kay is a writer. And he did um, he did a show in Brighton, and my boys had buckets going through the um, the aisle. Very cynically, we sent the children with buckets because we <laughs> thought <laughs> right people now. would give more money, which they did. Um, and yeah, there, there were loads of times in the early days when we were really small and my house was full of this product, and so was Joe's. Joe's got two little girls, um, roughly the same age as your two eldest. And then I've got my two boys. And very often in the early days, they'd be sitting on the floor watching the telly, separating tampacs mm. from sanitary towels or separating moisturiser from face wash. And they would just kind of do it on autopilot. So it's good.
1: It's also good because when if people have anything sort of glib to say about beauty. It's like, no, no, this is a real... I don't think people realise quite how much all of that counts into the same thing and how it feeds into how you feel. As you say, it's keeping yourself clean, making yourself presentable, having clean hair. I always tell
0: people that um, everybody, I think, can think of a time where the boiler's packed up or the hot water stopped for reasons that they didn't really understand or they woke up too late to have a shower or whatever it is and they're rushing around and they feel gross and that horrible, gross feeling that you feel and you just think, oh, I'd do anything to just kind of get in the shower. Um, There are lots of people who have to feel like that every single day because they don't have access to hot running water, they don't have access to products, Um, they live in a chaotic household, they live in chaotic circumstances, they don't live anywhere at all. You know, there are lots of people... I just don't think that people should have to feel dirty. That just seems so Dickensian to me. The Mm. idea that you can't afford to be clean just seems really um, barbaric in a developed country at this time. It's just just wrong. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think... Everything can be done, but I think the levels of poverty in the UK still is horrific. Well, we're in a poverty crisis, officially, according to the UN. And just the idea of kids being shamed at school Hmm. because their clothes are dirty and they don't have access to water or toiletries. I just, I hate that. I absolutely hate the idea of that. I can't bear it. And so uh, we give teachers products to discreetly give to children in a private moment so that they have what they need.
1: Oh, that's brilliant that's actually a really i think you're right that those kids they must feel i mean actually there's a girl on um have you watched any of that <laughs> it's really a silly program called selling sunsets yes i've we, seen it all okay. i binged on it yeah me too yeah and the girl in it she said that that's how she felt at school do you remember the girl yeah. um i think i think yeah um in fact actually that, i've thought of you with that before now because i saw recently you wrote about um, wearing flat shoes all the time now yes. rather than heels And it made me think of all those estate agents on Selling Sunset in the ridiculous stilettos
0: like wandering just around make me building sad and tired I know, when I see them too. they've got those <laughs> massive platforms on like platform Louboutins I they? and I just think oh you're so slow on your feet because it's yeah. such an effort and sometimes they literally go to like a construction site and they've got a hard hat on <laughs> one side <laughs> and they're sort of yeah. stepping over with their wedges over like yeah, I mean god all power to them uh, I'm you know I would lie in the road for a woman to look like however she wanted to look but it just makes makes me feel old and tired. I'm over it, I think.
1: Me too. And actually I think another thing, you know, with this year, I definitely felt like so much of that kind of feeling like you had to put on a certain face to be taken a certain way. I kind of I've really enjoyed the fact that that's
0: relaxed. I feel that I have been too comfortable for too long now to go back <laughs> yeah. it's like we're pushing a year almost do you know, what, I mean? yeah. you know what, what are we in our eighth month or something yeah. and I just think I've now been too comfy for too long I mm. can't ever imagine doing that again no
1: and I think now that we've sort of let that sometimes I feel a bit like this year with all the different roles we play and the normal sort of, the norms of social interaction so much of it has gone back like, now we know that know that You know, it's a bit when I went into the bank during the the midst of lockdown and the guy was speaking to, we just ended up chatting about how he was finding working in the bank and having his kids at home all the time and all that stuff. And it's just like all those sort of roles we play about how we normally interact. It's like we can actually talk to each other in a totally different way now because we've all experienced something together that whoever you are, your life is been altered
0: yeah it's quite, yeah quite it's going to be very hard I think for people to justify why mums have to be in the office five days a week why people have to go to stupid meetings in stupid places why people have to spend so much money on petrol and on motorways yeah. going to work I think there's going to be a lot of stuff where people are going to have to accept that life has
1: shifted mm. yeah I know it's um well it has it just has and it won't It took me a long time to understand what it meant when people said it's not going to go back to how it was before. Because it doesn't mean that things won't come
0: back, that you're familiar, but everything will just have a slightly different emphasis, probably. Were things mental in your house during lockdown? Uh,
1: It's a lot of of children
0: to be locked inside. Honestly,
1: when it first started happening, I just thought, I've been a complete mug. I've had too many children. And I went from feeling very clever about having... You know, it's five people and they're all from one to 16 thinking <laughs> I'm I'm such a moron. I can't actually do this. I can't do it where it's they're all lot. just here and we're all in the same room all the time. But we kind of found our way through it. I mean, there were some, I think probably, I felt like what was happening here was happening in loads of yeah. family households. And so sometimes things were quite nice, actually, you know, we yeah. can have, we've all had Sundays here together or bank holiday Mondays where you feel like we're normally at school or work, but hey, we're all here together. Yeah. But um, Yeah, sometimes we just find ourselves having these outbursts of anxiety and shouty things where yeah. you say like, because there's a tension and you know Richard and I are constantly like trying to work out like what is this really oh look all our work's been cancelled okay that's that um what about next year well who knows and, yeah you know just the realization of like okay everything I thought I was going to be doing this year is gone yeah,
0: yeah no same I
1: felt totally paralyzed I felt very uncreative I felt like there's nothing I could do I felt like ah oh, why didn't I learn to play piano better or play guitar better so at least I can accompany myself and Write something. I, no, I can't do that. I don't know how anything works in Richard's studios. I can't record a song. <laughs> just felt like, I
0: really should have got some more skills going here. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm obsessed <laughs> with learning to sew at the moment. I really want to learn to Ooh. sew. It's been one of those on the periods. Period. Yeah, Yeah. It's been one of those periods, hasn't it, where you're like, what, what is massively lacking in my mm. skill set? How are you getting on quite... with the sewing? No, so I haven't started yet, but it's oh. my focus. I've just decided <laughs> that that's my project for next year. I'm going to learn to sew because I cannot um, sew
1: because I got I wanted to sew and I got um a sewing machine but then I got I got stuck on how to wind a bobbin.
0: <laughs> so, right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that was like <laughs> this is actually something that happens quite early on in the sewing. So yeah, it's, it's
0: the end of that. <laughs> yeah, I remember in the attic not if you wanted able it. to do that. You could take
1: it home with you. You can start now. <laughs> and snarl. just really get my When you've learned to it. wind the bobbin, come back and tell me.
0: <laughs> I'd love to be able to make my own clothes. When, I'd just love to be able to like hem some jeans oh, or something. My own
1: alterations—that'd yeah. be incredible. Yeah, because I buy a lot of second-hand Same. stuff, and then I've got a big pile of things like, oh yeah, I just need to make that shorter, make that. And come you just don't there. get around to it for like oh. a year. Oh, a year would be good for me. I've had some things probably from like before I moved house, I yeah. think. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> like over it now. No, decade. I'm the same. I buy loads of secondhand stuff, and I and I do tell myself, oh, well, ju- that just needs shortening. That just needs taking exactly. in a bit. Exactly. Yeah. I know. One, one day. Well, yeah, I'd say, t- teach me when you've learned the
1: bobbin bit. Um, but, yeah, no, lockdown was a very strange time, and I look back on it and I feel, sometimes I'll see something that was very much part of that time, and it makes me feel kind of odd it's just. I think it's just that hum of anxiety, alongside sort of preoccupying yourself. You know, and some of it was quite. I'm not someone that likes. I don't get FOMO or anything like that. So I quite liked. Yeah, I didn't miss like pubs or any of that. No, sort I of love thing. being at home. Yeah, I like that too, and I like being around for bedtime every night. And my work takes me away a lot, like you were saying you know, about feeling guilty when you go away for work. Like that's something that I've had to deal with a lot. And I, I was about to be away a lot this year, and I thought I'd be away for two birthdays in April. So I was glad I was here for that. Although I have to say, Ray had, I think, what's probably one of the sads is lockdown birthdays. It was his eighth birthday, and he literally oh, lined up all his teddy bears and toys, soft toys in the oh, garden and did a sort God. of picnic, birthday picnic with his toys, um, which is equal part sweet and it's really... Ch- pathos, <laughs> yeah, <that is> really... <laughs> <laughs> we sort of had to take pictures and think that there's a colloid in the kitchen somewhere. It just looks very... It looks sort
0: of very, fit like, 1950s bless. sad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Poor Christopher Robin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, bless. No, but, we we had... A birthday in lockdown as well. Yeah,
1: we had four in April. Actually, Sonny had what he called his super sweet quarantine sixteen because it was just like happy birthday. You're sixteen. You can't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> To yeah. be fair, my dad would have loved it if that had been me. He yeah. was like, I think a lockdown around my teenage years would have suited my yeah. dad really,
0: really yeah. well. I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, I think it's been really hard for the teenagers mm. because they're just all about the friends, aren't they? Exactly. And when you were finally allowed to have people in your garden, uh, the first thing we did was say to my eldest, you know, do you want to have Isaac round? You know, yeah. and he needed it. I think teens really need it. Need yeah. they mates.
1: Well, actually, for Sonny, weirdly, he kind of copes with it quite well because he's he is quite... He likes just being in his bedroom and listening to music and a lot of his friends are online. So actually, for him... Yeah, they was, talk all day, don't yeah, they? Yeah, he was actually kind of all right. Um, yeah, I think it was my younger one, like Ray, I think, Riley really found it the hardest at eight because he, he's so into his social life at school and then he couldn't um, self-perpetuate any of the social things. So he couldn't say, I'm just going to message my friends or whatever. So it would all be down to me to organise and I think he just felt a bit... Yeah, a bit lost without it. Whereas the little two were fine and Kit was fine too. We were just, you know, making little videos on YouTube and stuff like that and started writing films and things. It kind of kept them quite busy, really. But I think I found it hard, just maybe with my headspace. I just felt like I had yeah. nowhere to yeah. run off and hide. But that's okay. Uh, we got through it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, we did. And, you know, and people endured so much that, that we didn't have to. And it's just a weird time, isn't it? I think yeah. I think everyone's just allowed to find it weird without having to compare their experiences to other it's just bloody weird isn't it bloody weird yeah and every even now as as
1: i think is this really happening? I know. Yeah, I sort of imagine I've just been like quantum leaped into
0: now and I look around like everybody's in face masks like I'm trying to work out what's yeah. happening. What a crazy world. It's getting to the point where we've kind of been in it for so long that I'm slightly losing a grip on how it was before, yes. which I find quite surreal.
1: Well, it's like when you watch TV and you think like an old film and they're like, they hug each other hello or something. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh,
0: there's more than 50 people at that yeah. party. What are they doing? Yeah. <laughs> that wedding's huge. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so weird to think that I've kind of lost a year of my life, or in, in my kids' case, it's sort of almost 10% of one of their lives yeah. has been spent with coronavirus, which is, is really bizarre, considering we'd never even heard of it a year ago.
1: I know. I know, and, like, things that happened back in February. I mean, I'm, I'm, I remember doing, like, a DJ gig in February, and... And now I'm
0: like, why were we all out? Did we not think anything know, was about to happen? I know. I had a breast reduction in February. And um, it was like such a big thing for me to do. And I did it in February. And I was um, I was looking at my diary in the run up to it thinking, okay, so I've blocked these two weeks out to recover. And then I've got to do this. Then I've got to go and do this event here. And I was kind of all over the country. But in fact, since I had the operation pretty much within a couple of weeks, we were Locking down, and so I did a, you know I was just at home, recovering the whole time, and it was just really strange, like my body had really changed, and I was just in the house. It just seemed like a very strange time yeah. <laughs> all round and how really do you weird. feel now
1: do you feel like yeah it's, great
0: yeah yeah it's the best decision i 've ever made wow, that's very cool yeah you, there's no and it's all fully you feel all yeah, normal. it has been fully healed for ages, um yeah, so I had it done on February the eighteenth it was the night of the brit awards and um My husband came to my hospital room and we watched the Brit Awards in bed and I cannot remember a single thing about the Brit Awards. (coughs) I was so high. (laughs) I woke up and I was just so high and so happy that I'd had the operation but also, like, smacked out of my head on drugs from the doctor that I just... I can't remember anything about the Brit Awards other than my husband brought me an honest veggie burger, which I love. <laughs> and um, I sat there just sort of giggling in bed watching the Brits. I don't, I don't think um, you'd be the first person to watch the Brits. No, I'm exactly. Really I to remember anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like you were there. It was very much on <laughs> brand.
1: Exactly. <laughs> oh, well, it's like, I mean, the other one other question I, would, I always quite like to ask about motherhood and if, it's, if you feel like it's influenced your work and your creativity. But is it for you, is the beauty thing your own thing? Do you feel like when you do that, you're quite selfish about it? Or does it feel like an extension of when you're a mum and needing to feel like you again?
0: Mm, that's a really interesting question. I think, uh, so despite a- anything else about my mother, um, my maternal grandmother and my mother always looked nice. They did always look nice. My mum was really beautiful. And the two of them were always pulled together. And no matter how little money there was, um, the, you know, there was always lipstick on and hair done and so on. And so I suppose I associate it with um, just getting on with life. And that is something that I have always done. So they were influential to me in that way. My kids are really kind of, you know, bemused by it. They'll ask me for a serum sometimes because they're teenagers. They're obviously concerned about their skin. So they'll say, mum, can I test a serum for you or whatever? So they're a little bit involved. Um, but yeah, I, spo- I suppose mainly, mainly it's for me. There are no girls in the house to really, really love what I do. But I don't care. I love having boys. I love having boys. And of course, if I had two girls, I'd be sitting here saying I love having girls. But... I really love having boys. I feel very comfortable having boys. Um, I grew up with only boys in the house my mother left when I was a baby so um, or a toddler rather so there was just me my dad and my two brothers for a really long time and so I feel very comfortable in a male household. Um, It just kind of feels it feels right so I don't really need them to be interested in my pursuits. And we share loads. So my main passion in life is film. My eldest son shares it with me. So we have just like our thing together. We watch loads of films, just the two of us. Um, And we all love music. And my eldest son in particular is obsessed with fashion and I really love clothes. So we talk about fashion a lot and films a lot. So actually we have really sort of deep um, connections in terms of our interests that I don't, really need them to care about my work what i do want though is i always wanted them to know that um all of the things you have come from mum working hard and that is a reality of life i i hate entitlement i can't stand entitlement and the thought of having entitled children would really 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 bother me and so i've always wanted them to know that um if you lose a jumper at school i have to work harder in order to replace the jumper you lost. And so I want them engaged in my work insofar as I need them to understand it's important and consequently that whatever they do for a living will be important. Mm. And I don't care what they do, but I want them to be serious about what they do.
1: Yeah. No, I, th- I agree with so much of what you just said and I think you're right, that entitled thing is just something that I can't... Awful. You get it in a lot of grown-ups as well, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Are they are just expectant about what's supposed to happen next. And actually, I think... Especially if you work in creative jobs, you're sometimes, well, actually, no. You know what? It probably happens across the board, but I just think from the get go in creative, you're very encouraged to be quite competitive with your peers. And, you know, you feel like you're, especially with women, actually, they pit women up against yeah, each other. Yeah, of course. All There's the any time. room for one. Yeah, yeah, which is so tedious. And, um, and then from that, you're encouraged to sort of really feel quite um, annoyed about opportunities that weren't open, open to you. Whereas actually, I'm always a bit like, who's to say I'm even supposed to be still singing right. for now? Like, it's not a given. You're not, nothing, nothing you've done is. in the past is a given that you're going to keep be able to keep, keep going. Absolutely. So you've really got to keep, like,
0: don't complain and just get on and do the work. Yeah, and kind of understand that people, part of being alive is doing loads of things you don't want to do. Yes. And so my, uh, my son's sometimes they, there are things they really don't want to do and my sympathy is limited because I'm like, do you know what? I have seen two people this week that I had to see that I didn't really want to see. I've done this, this, this and this that I didn't want to do. Um, that's life. And actually the majority of my life I do like and I do want to do. And that is just how the checks and balances work so you do need to play rugby because at the moment that is your job that is the thing you have to do and i i want them to understand that that it's not all lovely you know and part of being a responsible person is to sometimes grit your teeth and be with people you don't really want to be with and do the stuff that doesn't really excite or interest you and that's important yeah, it is. People are relying wrong. on you to do a thing. I know so there's certain the responsibilities thing. that yeah. come with the business of being you and getting on with the things you've got to do and Yeah. yeah. I find true. that an empowering part of motherhood though. I found when when they were little, I did the thing that I think kind of all parents do with real love and heart, which is my kids would say, oh, I don't like it. I can't do it, whatever. And I'd say, of course you can do it. Of course you can do it. You can do anything. Of course you can. You're brilliant. You can do... And you do that thing with little children. But actually, the greatest thing, one of the greatest things about having teenagers is that moment where you go, do you know what? Yes, you are not very good at rugby. You're too short for it. Actually, you're not built for it. You're much better at other things. I can absolutely see why that's a ball ache for you totally however (laughs) however you still have to do it just keep your head down get through the lesson criticize your teacher all you want when you're at home but you be polite and you be well behaved and i think it's just been really nice to just hear my kids and not go, no, no, and overrule yeah. them and tell them everything will be fine. It's actually been really lovely and interesting to hear what my kids are telling me and go, yeah, you're right, he does sound like a dick. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, he does sound awful. not I'm sure he doesn't not like you, darling, the way I used to do. Now I'm like, yeah, yeah that teacher doesn't sound very nice. No, you're right. That's a really good thing, to yeah you know, trap not to fall into. And the other thing that
1: I do, which I really am trying to stop is trying to fix things for them, the things they don't like, the things they don't want to do, and go, okay, I'll write an email to that and see if I can get you out of that and I'll try and change that for you. And then I'm like, like actually... um you know, so proud. My uh, my second eldest has got his first school detention today. Yeah, and he was like, "Mummy, can you just tell them I can't do it and all this?" And I said, "You know what, Kate, You just kind of got to suck it up." Really. Yeah, yeah, because that's life. Yeah, and it's like it's not going to be that hard. And he's like, "But I didn't do this, that, and the other." And I'm like, "Yeah, but there's obviously things they feel like rules, school rules." Yeah, and they're trying to teach you that this is deterrent, yeah. so just yeah. just do
0: it. <laughs> and also, nobody ever nobody ever died from an extra hour at school, do you know? Like just no. just do it. And I find that. I find that a really refreshing part of having older kids, of just going, yeah, that's life. I hear you. It is rubbish. (laughs) I can see why you're pissed off. I totally get it. However... Part of life is getting on and doing it, and that's so much better than going. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. The way I used to do when they were little. I've got to still stop doing that. I still tend to try. Well, and you have little things. ones than me, so it's slightly different.
1: Yeah, but I think also sometimes it's like, oh, I, I don't like. I'm not very good at seeing them doing things where they feel uncomfortable or sad about something, so I tend to be a bit like, ah, what can I do to make that easier? But actually, yeah, sometimes I just got to get through it.
0: Yeah, but I think, and it's empowering for them to know they can fix. Themselves that's and true. make themselves feel better, I think. No, that's very true. And also, as you say,
1: they get through it and it's not actually that bad. It's um, never that bad. Nah. And um, I think you've spoke, there's so many things you've said that I've really, I've just been nodding along and I really agree with. And I think, I just feel like, I keep thinking, it just, it's so impressive that you went from feeling like you didn't really want to have kids and you didn't really have maybe an example in your life of that's the kind of mother mm. that I wanted to be. But you've managed to kind of get, get through to actually having this very um, balanced and grounded approach to raising your boys and I mean do you think what do you think you back back in your twenties would have thought of you as a mum
0: if you met you now um, i think I think I would say i'm a good mum because i because my kids are really nice, they are mm. really nice, and they're not messed up and I think that in years to come, if they end up in therapy, which is always a chance for everybody, we've all got stuff we want to iron out. But if they ended up sitting on a therapist's couch, I think it would be wear and tear they would be talking about. They would not be talking about anything major. Um, And so I'm very pleased about that. I'm very impressed with them. I think they're really good dudes and Mm. they're good friends and they're good brothers to one another and they're really good sons. And so, yeah, I I think I must have, done all right I think all of us you know I think their their father their stepfather their stepmother and me I think you know but yeah I'm I'm the constant in all of it and I and yeah I'm really grateful that it turned out okay
1: yeah me too that's lovely I'm impressed with that and also very impressed with the very grown-up way you have your tea because when you said you hardly have any milk is, I know it's nearly black isn't it's actually it? yeah like that's imp- have you tried just not having
0: any milk yes I don't quite I don't quite like it <laughs> but I've <laughs> just always just to got, know it's there. somebody was saying recently that in all my um, tutorial videos and review videos and stuff I always look like um, I'm a heavy smoker because my tongue is stained it's because I'm always I've always got a cup of tea on and I don't have milk in it so. yeah it's right, mine's like baby tea in comparison <laughs> like one and a half
1: sugars and milk but that's like proper grown up I know it's really real. evil isn't I'll it i be that grown up well thank you <laughs> So that was Sally and I having a chat about raising our boys and about extended families. And like I said, there was a lot of stuff that really resonated with me. Um, I think some of it my parents got really right with raising me as part of a divorced, you know, separated family, and some of it maybe was a bit trickier. Um, I mean, golly, I, I don't have first-hand experience of what it's like to be a parent on that side Thing just to be the kid. But I would say that I thought what Sally said about never, ever, ever... Uh, slagging off the other half, because to the child, that's half of them. That really, that really stayed with me. And I think I will be passing that on to any of my friends that are going through similar situations. You know, you're right, that is true. It is half of that kid. It feels like half of you. And you spend a lot of your childhood, don't you, working out what you get from your mom, what you get from your dad, and what's just you. And actually, now that I'm raising small people, I can see that they're mainly just them, raised sitting very quietly by my side. Do you have any thoughts on anything I'm saying, Ray? Any thoughts at all? Okay, just shaking his head. You just want my phone? What <laughs> do you want to play with my phone when you get it? If you don't tell me, I'm not going to give it to you.
0: What?
1: What, what are you going to play with it when you get it? TikTok. TikTok? Are you going to do some dances? No. No? Just watch stuff. Watch funny stuff. Okay. Can I watch it with you? Fine. Fine, thank you. Why are you whispering? I don't like it when people whisper on audio. Mm. Anyway, look, I'm nearly finished. Do you want to say bye bye and thank you for listening?
0: Bye bye and thank you for listening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, with all the enthusiasm a boy waiting to play on his mum's phone can muster. Um, if you haven't put your decorations up, have a good week with it. If you fancy listening to a Christmas songs, come and join us at the kitchen disco in a week and a half. In the meantime, stay safe, stay sane, stay festive. We're nearly there. Nearly the end of 2020. We did it, folks. (whistles) Anyway, um, rambling as ever. Lots of love. Race is nearly done. My my tea's been drunk and my phone's about to go into the hands of my eight-year-old. Lots of love. See you soon. Oh, next week before I go, just going to tell you, next week I've got a really good one. Uh, An artist friend of mine called Kerry Reichard lives down the road. Her house is remarkable because it is covered, and I do mean literally covered, every aspect of it in tiny mosaic tiles. So it must be, I don't know, a million tiles? I don't know. How many tiles does it take to cover a house front and back? It's a literal work of art. It's beautiful. I spotted the house long before I knew Carrie, and I was really uh, struck by it. But her story is a fascinating one. You're going to absolutely love it. So please do join me for that next week. And in the meantime, lots of love and festive cheer.